Morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you. I have a question for you to start off. Uh, what outfit did you choose for Easter Sunday? Uh, what, did, what did you decide? Some of you maybe are still in your PJs. Some of you maybe decided to take it up to a new level uh, because it's Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I thought it would be fun to get a picture uh, of you joining us uh, live on, or online at nine. So if you would, gather the people that are with you uh, watching the service together and get a selfie and send that to us. Uh, you can send it to us at hashtag livingfaithlive uh, or at hashtag uh, glasstownlive. Um, and so whether you're in your best Easter dress or still in your PJs, uh, it'd be fun to compile all those pictures. But I do want to say let's keep it G-rated. Uh, so Don Kinchin, uh, no pics of you in your bedroom outfits, all right, man? So I'm going to give everybody a moment just to get that selfie and then to send that off, and then we'll compile those and share that uh, in, in some of the weeks ahead. All right, you done with your shot? All right. So I don't know if it's the inspiration of the new spring colors in the trees or uh, with, the se- with the seasons changing or if it's uh, the fact that, you know, Jesus' resurrection is about newness and, and newness of life or, you know, you notice at Easter time we like things that are new. Uh, so we go with the, the new outfit sometimes for Easter Sunday. Or you saw Pastor Chris earlier with, with his newly resurrected face as he, as he put that beard to death. And we get to, see, uh, we get to see him now. But as a kid, I remember that there was one time each year where I had to wear a tie to church. And that was Easter Sunday. I had to look my Easter best, and uh, so my dad would help my brother and I, and we would make sure that we, we tied the tie, and it was always the, the full Windsor, the big knot up tight against my Adam's apple, uh, just so I could hardly breathe, and uh, so we would, get, you know, we would get all dressed, and he would usually say something, hey, we got to look sharp, and then he would follow that up with uh, look sharp, feel sharp, act sharp. And so that was part of our uh, Sunday morning routine uh, for Easter Sunday, uh, as I remember it. And it wasn't long before I was squirming to get out of that tie. Uh, and so it wouldn't be, sometimes I'd make it through the service, but it wouldn't be, you know, before we get to the car after the service, that tie would, that tie would be off. But even though as a kid I didn't like it, there was this sense of it was special. You know, it was special to put on a, you know, a certain outfit to, to, to do a, a special activity together uh, as a family. And so today, uh, in honor of my pops, I decided to put my tie on uh, so that I would look sharp, feel sharp, uh, and act sharp. So there you go, pops, that one's for you. Um, so last week, Eric told you a story about an outfit uh, there was not much fun in getting dressed up in the outfit that he talked about. Uh, this was an outfit of shame. More specifically, it was an orange vest of shame. We heard this story from author Max Lucado about, a volunteer, uh, about the volunteer state of Tennessee uh, that where they were using shaming as a punishment for the rehabilitation of drunk drivers. So for three days and for eight hours a day, as they picked up trash, they had to wear these vests and they would wear these vests of shame. And on the back of the vest, it would declare their guilt. It would say in bold four inch white letters, I am a drunk driver. 
And I'm not sure if this program has been successful uh, for Tennessee as a deterrent for would-be drunk drivers or repeat offenders, but I am sure that Tennessee is tapping into a very powerful motivator that we can all relate to, and that is the motivation of shame. I've seen children shrink into themselves in shame as they would talk about sin that was committed against them. I have seen grown men run from situations because the shame was overwhelming for them. I have talked to to elderly people, men and women that carry shame because of the guilt of their past. Shame is in us and shame is deeply entrenched in the world around us, in the culture that we live in. Ed Welch, uh, who wrote an excellent book called Shame Interrupted, uh, he said this, these days shame is emerging from the shadows and beginning to have its own identity. For example, if you talk about guilt to people under 30, you often get blank stares. But if you talk about worthless, failure, or shame, they feel as if you've deciphered the core of their being. For them, shame is arguably the human problem. So we know what shame feels like, but, but can we define it? It seems like shame has something to do with our perception of guilt, that there's been something that has been done to us or something committed by us, um, and we perceive ourselves as guilty, and with that pronouncement, we, we feel shame. And there's different words that we attach to this feeling of shame. What, maybe one of these words connects to the language that describes your sense of shame. Maybe the word stupid Maybe the word alienated, maybe the word needy, maybe the word embarrassed, maybe, the, maybe being a minority, maybe the word ridiculed, maybe unlovable, maybe a piece of, go ahead, you fill in the blank. Maybe the word weak, maybe the word failure, maybe the word different, rejected, inadequate, ignored, These words kind of take up residence inside us and we feel the sense of shame. Again, Ed Welch defines shame and he does it this way. He says, shame is the deep sense that we are unacceptable because of something you did or something done to you or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Or to strengthen the language, you are disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human, and you were associated with something less than human. And more than that, there are witnesses. I don't think it's a coincidence that during the time of shelter in place with COVID-19, when households are forced together without an escape, that there is a rise in conflict and domestic abuse. Why? Because, because we are shame-filled people and we've just had our places of hiding eliminated. And so we don't have healthy ways uh, of, of coping or we don't have our coping mechanisms to deal with our shame and, and things are erupting very profoundly and very sadly in certain households. So this Easter, I wanna talk to you about shame. I wanna talk to you about it because there is an Easter theme, a resurrection theme that specifically addresses our shame. 
Eric told you last week that only Jesus has the authority and the capacity to deal with shame. And that Jesus is committed to riding into the temple of your life, the the place of worship, and rooting out anything that stands between you and God. And, And what stands between you and God in many cases is this very issue of shame. And so Easter and resurrection has a message directly related to our shame. So let's pray together before we get into this morning's message. God, I ask for your grace over us as a church family. I pray, Jesus, that you would train us in understanding what you have done in your life, death, and resurrection that deals with shame. And I pray that you would do that by by letting us know how majestic and glorious you are. And so I pray that we would see our shame not in light of our greatness, but in light of yours. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you lead us into truth this morning, truth about the glory of Jesus and his gospel? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, you can tell the story of the Bible in a number of ways. Uh, You can tell it from the standpoint of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. I like to tell the story that way. You can also tell it as a, as a series of meals and banquets that would culminate and end with the, the marriage supper of the lamb. Or you could tell it from the, the standpoint of the, the covenants that God made with his people. But today, I want to tell you the story of scripture by looking at three outfits, um, three different pieces in our wardrobe and how these articles of clothing relate to our journey with shame. So Eric alluded to our first outfit last week. The first outfit, outfit number one, is our fig leaf. And as you know, any outfit that you wear, you wear that outfit for whatever you're going to do. So if you're going to work, sometimes you have a uniform that you have to, you know, that you have to wear to work. If you're gonna relax around the house, maybe you have a certain outfit, you like those sweatpants, those comfy sweats you like to put on, that's what you relax in, right? You have certain outfits for certain things. So outfit number one, our fig leaf, is for the journey from nakedness to shame. And every outfit, right, every outfit that, that, that we identify with or that we put on uh, is for a certain purpose. And so I want you to see that this purpose is leading us from nakedness to shame, and that's what our fig leaf outfit does. One of the gifts of the Genesis story is it says very clearly what is often hard for me to decipher and understand about myself. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to understand where shame comes from in my own life. Maybe I feel the sense of shame, but I don't know where it comes from. Well, when we have the story of Adam and Eve, it is very clear where the source of their sense of nakedness and shame, where that comes from. So Adam and Eve sin, and they reject God, and all of a sudden, they feel the consequences of sin. Let me read to you out of Genesis chapter 3. It says, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard of the sound of the Lord walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, they knew that they were naked. 
They knew in that moment that they were guilty, and so they looked to cover their nakedness. They had rejected the authority, the covering over them, and that left them feeling exposed, that left them feeling naked. Notice the first consequence of this sin against God of rejecting that covering is broken intimacy between Adam and Eve. Because once they felt naked, then they put fig leaves together to cover themselves. So then they shielded themselves from one another. So one of the first impacts of, of, uh, of shame in our lives is that it creates distance from those that God has put around us. Shame breaks intimacy. By the way, that's why I feel like grace is so essential for any healthy relationship. It can only survive when grace is part of the mix as we exchange forgiveness and grace to deal with the shame that exists in any relationship. So Adam and Eve, they made fig leaves to hide behind. And Eric mentioned this last week, we do the exact same thing. This is such an important point for us to get. We parade around in, 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 in certain types of cars or, or we wanna make sure we have a certain type of house or we wanna make sure we tell our stories a certain way to get a certain result from people. Even the clothes that we put on sometimes can be an elaborate fig leaf to pretend that we're not guilty or to hide the shame that we feel. Notice also in this story that it leads to hiding from God and shame always breaks intimacy with God. It always keeps us distant, feeling unworthy. Notice in verse eight, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord. He was walking in the garden. And what did they do? This, this, this moment of intimacy between them and God, God is showing up to be present with them. But because now that they've understood their guilt and their shame, what do they do? They hide. And so they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Again, this is the way Ed Welch uh, describes this moment. He says, you feel like an outcast in relationship to shame. You don't belong. You feel naked. While everyone else is walking around with their clothes on, you feel exposed and vulnerable. You are seen, and what others see is not pretty. You feel unclean. Something is wrong with you. You are dirty, and even worse, you're contaminated. There's a difference between being a bit muddy and harboring a deadly contagious virus. So outfit number one is, is our fig leaf. And Adam and Eve leave the garden, not in a fig leaf, uh, but you notice they, they leave the garden um, in something that God has designed to replace their fig leaf. God slaughtered an animal and then covered them in the skins of the animal in order to cover their shame. However, the animal sacrifice doesn't really deal with their sin. It doesn't deal with all the effects of their shame. But what it does do is it hides their shame temporarily. Have you ever noticed that? That you can, you can hide your shame behind some sort of covering, uh, but, but it always impacts you. It's like that orange vest is, is just beneath your sweater, or that orange vest is, is, is just beneath your jacket, and, and you're continually thinking, well, will they notice my shame? Will, will they notice my guilt? And so you're, 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 you're orchestrating all of your interactions because you're wanting to hide that shame beneath some veneer, some exterior 
um, in order to hide that shame from others. And it is just barely out of sight. However, the good news is this, that outfit number one, God improves on. And the way God improves on outfit number one with the animal skins is that the animal skins point to outfit number two. So outfit number two is is prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53, verses three to six. Says this, he was despised and he was rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and he was familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, outfit number two actually is not for us to wear. It's actually an orange vest that we take off. Uh, In outfit number two, we take off the vest and we place it on Jesus. Notice how in Isaiah, he says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the guilt, the shame of the orange vest of all of us. So outfit number two is called imputation. Imputation is simply a theological word for what's happening here in Isaiah 53, where God is putting or imputing onto Jesus our guilt, onto Jesus our vest. So this outfit is not one that we put on, but it's one that we take off and that he puts on. So when we put on, uh, when he puts on our vest, he moves us from rejection to acceptance. So when Jesus puts on our vest, we take it off, he puts it on. What happens for us is that we move from rejection to acceptance. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, to become sin on our behalf. Jesus became thoroughly identified with sin. He would receive its wrath. He would receive judgment in our place because he's taken on our vest. This meant that he would experience the worst kind of rejection and alienation from the father. And he would do this for us to the glory of God. So this Easter Sunday, it's time to turn in your orange vest and stop picking it up again and again and wearing them around. It's time to turn them over to Jesus. And the cross is where he takes your vest on himself. I think Jesus really wants to speak to us this morning about this issue. He's saying to us, bring your vest to the cross and leave it here. Bring your your garment of guilt, your vest of shame your outfit that represents your rebellion and leave it at the cross. Now, I don't know what your vest says, but what I would encourage you to do is to share it with him, confess it to him and say, God, this is the, this is the shame 
that I carry. As Eric said last week, if we confess our sins, 1 John, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins. The four-inch white lettering that is on the orange vest on our back, we bring that to confession before him. And maybe your vest says, I was harsh when they were vulnerable. I manipulated to get what I wanted. I lied to hide my failure. I'm, I'm too proud to receive help. I, I abused my children. I neglected my children. I've disrespected my parents. I'm, I'm, I'm too arrogant to admit when I'm wrong. I, I've been unfaithful to my spouse. I took advantage of someone sexually. I, I gave in to lust as an escape. I'm greedy for wealth and power, or I'm envious of what other people have. I'm relentlessly committed to me. So whatever is on your vest, whatever is your shame, what Jesus is saying is bring it to the cross. His blood was shed to deal with your guilt. Get that. Remember, shame results out of guilt. His blood was shed to deal with your guilt so you don't have to wear shame. Now, I know that when we talk about the cross and we talk about the shedding of blood, it sounds barbaric, but, but since the garden, listen, the, the shedding of blood has covered shame. So when Jesus sacrificed the animal to cover their shame, that, that set up the Old Testament sacrificial system that was reminding us that there was a significant cost when we want to deal with um, sin and we want to deal with removing what is unclean. And the reality is you didn't have to pay that significant cross, uh, that significant cost, but it still had to be paid. The blood of animals may have covered your shame, but the cross of Jesus, it removes your guilt. Why? Because he took your punishment. Northwest Airlines flight 255 it crashed shortly after takeoff from Detroit Metropolitan Airport on August 16th, 1987. It, it killed all six crew members and 148 of its 149 passengers, as well as, uh, as well as two people that were on the ground. The sole survivor was a four-year-old girl named Cecilia. The way Max Lucado tells the story is that the emergency response team on the ground saw little Cecilia walking around the, the wreckage of the plane crash, and they concluded that she must have been uh, you know, from one of the families that were standing by looking at what was going on, and maybe from one of the cars, and because they, she didn't seem injured. So they concluded she couldn't have been in the plane crash. She seems fine. But then after getting her name and checking the manifest, they found out that, that she was on the plane and that she was flying with her mom, Paula Chacon, from Tempe, Arizona. And as they talked to little Cecilia, they found out what had happened. As the plane was going down, her mom unbuckled her own seatbelt, knelt down in front of her daughter, and, and wrapped her body around her little girl. She did that so her body would take the force of the crash. She did that so that her body would feel the impact of the fall instead of Cecilia. She gave her life so her daughter could live. You see the connection to the cross. 
Jesus on the cross stepped in and he covered us so that the full weight of the fall lands on him and not on us. The full guilt and the accompanying shame of our orange vest, right? The full weight of that would be on him. He takes that punishment. He takes the fall so that we could live. He took the full weight of God's wrath. He took rejection so that he could give us acceptance. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so we would never have to. Ed Welch is going to to point us to our third and final outfit, which connects directly to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us. He said, Jesus freely placed your interest above his own. His desire was to elevate your status to the process he lowered, I'm sorry, his desire is to elevate your status and in the process, he lowered his own. He gave you the royal treatment. He works, you benefit, and you must accept this treatment. If you want Jesus, you must be willing to accept the honor that goes with the relationship, which is the royal status ascribed to you, not achieved, but still to be unveiled. Earlier, I read the beginning of 1 Corinthians 5.21, and I want to read how Paul finishes that verse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So outfit number one was was our fig leaf and we moved from nakedness to shame. Outfit number two was, was imputation where Jesus puts on our vest and we move from rejection to acceptance. And in outfit number three, it's called double imputation. And I'm not making that up. It's called double imputation um, where we move from acceptance to righteousness. First Peter 2, 24 says this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. At the cross, what we do is we give Jesus our vest. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we are invited to take on his outfit. We're invited to take on his garment. We're invited to take on his resurrection. So the double imputation is he takes our vest, right? Our shame, our sin, our guilt, puts that on himself. And then he gives us his outfit. He gives us his vest, his robe, his righteousness for us to put on. So now we are clothed in Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as as were baptized in Christ, you have put on, like a jacket, like a garment, you have put on Christ. So think about the implications of this for a minute. Remember the old labels, the, the previous four-inch letters that were on your back? Guess what? They don't, they don't any longer apply to you. you. You have a whole new set of labels that have been put on your back. This set of labels is not based on your points of guilt and shame. This set of labels is based on his righteousness. Colossians 3, I love this passage. Colossians 3 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ... 
Seek the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. So if you want to understand you, you need to look to him. That's the double imputation. You have to look to Jesus because you've exchanged your vest for his robes of righteousness. Therefore, the labels that apply to you now are the labels that are true of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Right? The, those labels that are now true of you were the labels that are true of King Jesus, the righteous. So think about these labels now that are printed in white on, the, on your back, four inches. You are a royal priest. You are holy. You're complete. You're free from condemnation. You're secure. You're established in him. You have been anointed. You are God's coworker. You are God's temple. You are God's workmanship. Paul says in Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's the outfit you're putting on. So this morning, I want to tell you where the clothes that Jesus has purchased for you. It's Easter Sunday, and the resurrection celebrates that, that not only does Jesus take your vest, but he clothes you in his righteousness. One of my absolute favorite resurrection stories is about Peter in John chapter 21. And, and it's actually a, a two-part story. It starts in John 18 and finishes in John 21. And, and they're connected because they're both around a charcoal fire. And this is the only time in the New Testament we ever hear about a charcoal fire is in John chapter 18 when Peter denies Jesus three times. And in John chapter 21 where Jesus restores Peter into his new identity in Jesus. And so what Jesus does is he's at the Sea of Galilee. This is only the third time that he's been with Peter since his resurrection. And Jesus sets up the scenario so it brings Peter right back to his point of shame. So he's at the Sea of Galilee. He's made breakfast. And yes, he's made a charcoal fire. Peter sees that it's Jesus, jumps out of the boat to get to Jesus as quickly as possible. And they have this little exchange between themselves. And so Jesus asks Peter three times the same question. Three times the same question of, of Peter, do you love me? Three times because Peter had denied him three times. So three times Jesus asks him that question. I love the fact that what Jesus does is he puts into the mouth of Peter a confirmation of Peter's love for Jesus. So here's the thing I want you to notice at the exact same moment that Jesus is addressing Peter's shame. He's addressing Peter's guilt by bringing him back, asking him these questions, having Peter affirm his love. Jesus also is empowering him with a new pattern for living. So Peter is being given the assignment of Jesus as he affirms his love for Jesus. So Jesus tells him in each response, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. 
So Peter is empowered to live in a new pattern. He's empowered to live in new ways. And as God clothes you in his righteousness, he invites you to join him on the adventure of the mission that his kingdom is all about. I want to read to you one final quote from Ed Welch. He said this, there is a paralytic quality to shame and it leaves you powerless, unable to put up the least resistance. It, it leads you to believe the lie that Christ's words to you are mere words, which they are not. They are words of power, power that heals the sick and raises the dead. When, when people encounter the gospel, limbs suddenly begin to move and death gives way to life. So when you hear these deep truths and still think you are paralyzed, understand why. The reason why is you've been motionless for a long time and your muscle memory says you can't move, but your memory is lying. You can move, you can hear, believe and declare. If you are passive and hopeless, take a more radical approach. Adopt the topsy-turvy surprising culture of the kingdom of God and believe that you are robed in his righteousness and he's inviting you to the adventure of his kingdom. So it's Easter Sunday and we're talking about shame. And the reality is that you feel shame and, you, and if you feel unworthy of God's love, there's really two options in front of you. You can turn inward which is what we've, we've all done and which is what we tend to do is we turn inward and turn to ourselves, and we try to make ourselves more lovable or we try to hide our points of shame. But the reality is what you're doing there is when you turn inward to deal with shame, you're actually looking for a little bit of self-worth. You're, you're actually trying to make yourself your own personal savior and that's a statement of pride. But the other option when confronted with the invitation to deal with our shame is not to turn inward, but to turn to Jesus and to discover that he has a heart for the unworthy, that he has a heart for the shame filled. And he wants to take your vest of shame upon himself and then to clothe you with a new name and a new identity. So don't let shame keep you from living in the adventure of your design. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the story of scripture. I thank you for the story of the gospel that, that, that goes the whole way. It deals, with our, uh, it deals with our hiding, it deals with our nakedness, it deals with our shame, and it does that by, by Jesus taking that on himself. But I thank you for the gospel that doesn't end there. It doesn't just lead us to acceptance, it leads us to be empowered with a new way of living. It's Resurrection Sunday, and you are inviting us to, to walk in righteousness, to walk in new paths of being alive. But in order to do that, God, we have to fight the fight of faith. Miranda reminded us of that earlier, that we have to, we have to fight for hope. And Ed Welch said that our muscle memory will return as we make the hard choices to believe that Jesus has actually dealt with our guilt so we don't need to put on the vest of shame. And so I pray for the Living Faith family. I pray, God, that we will be people filled with hope, 
that what we do, the way we act would not be ways of, of, of hiding or dealing with our shame, but it would be as sons and daughters of God moving boldly to love those around us because Jesus has extravagantly loved us. Be glorified in us, Jesus. Amen.